On Education is sponsored by Participate, a community learning platform where the world learns together. Later in the episode, we'll hear about one of Participate's partners, The Sandbox, and how you can get involved in its free community learning opportunities and live streams. You know, it's funny. I always notice when we skip a week, that's when the, the Twitter stupidity happens the most. <laughs> Welcome to On Education, part of the On Podcast Media Network. My name is Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will discuss how teaching and politics are connected, why you shouldn't use your advanced degree as a way to begin a social media tweet. And our guest this week is educator and author Josh Caldwell. Like, like I mean, one? I know that our I know that our stickers <laughs> and like our hat, like the the whole speaking truth and nonsense thing but like that's that's like the most on the nose intro we've ever done <laughs> it's like thanks I, why do we have to explain these things to people i don't understand but i mean apparently no one else I don't, is so i don't either we but are. those were the those those are the oh hot my. topic buttons this week uh yeah oh on the old Twitterverse. <laughs> uh, I'm just, I'm too, I'm too old and tired for this, Glenn. <laughs> Shouldn't oh have God. to, but yes, that's where we're at. <laughs> Here we are. This is our role. Mm-hmm. Hey, um, I'm going to start playing a game um, again cool. that you played a lot of. What do you play? Um, I just downloaded today, this morning, Monster Hunter. Oh, baby. For PC? Yeah, I'm going to get into it. It's, I'm going to get into it. It's really good. I mean... By really good, I mean like amazing. That actually makes me makes me want to go ahead and get it because <laughs> I have it for Xbox, you know. And my kids, yeah. this is we've probably put in God knows thousands and thousands of hours between myself, uh, my two sons both play it, and my father in law plays yeah. it. Now he's put yeah. in the most because he plays all the time with us. You know, each of sure. us individually, because we all always jumping onto the Xbox, um, and the variation of that game, as far as like where you, the basically it it lets you choose these weapon classes, and there's a tons of different types, and you can just kind of dabble in a little bit in each one, but eventually you you become like oh, okay, I really like this specific type of weapon type and whatever, and you become an expert at it. But yeah. what's super cool is that eventually you might be like, ah, I want to start learning how to do X. And it's almost like you're relearning and learning a, the game in its entirety because you have to, they all have different functions in the way that they, um, you know, work collaboratively, especially if you're playing with other people, which you should. That's the coolest part is when you can play by yourself and build up your character and do stuff. But when you actually get some other people as far as in the thing and you are all different characters to kind of help and support each other, that's super fun. Yeah. So you're so going to mul- you're gonna spend a lot multi- of time on it. There's multiplayer? <laughs> yes. I actually didn't know that. Yeah. It's multiplayer, multiplayer, uh, multi-platform? online. Multi-platform? I don't think so. Interesting. But you should check into that. I don't think it is multi-platform, but it is multi... The multiplayer part is... It blows me away. That's the p- coolest part because you're you are fighting these freaking ridiculous monsters yeah. of yeah. all sorts, and and you're working together to strategize of how to go ahead and uh, 
you know, take advantage of its weaknesses, etc. It's super cool. You're gonna love it. Neat. Yes. So it's funny though. I downloaded that this morning, and then and then I realized that I also need to format my computer. Oh yes, so, that's what I need to so, do too. So actually, it's funny because we've <laughs> talked about this offline. You need to format yours too. Yes, and you I'm probably scared. haven't. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I not have, scared at all. I lo- I love doing it. Yeah. Any any listen, anyone who's listening, format your computer every six months. Just mm. trust me. Save <laughs> first off, rule number one: save your stuff to to Google Drive. Like yes. like don't save stuff on your computer. Anyone who's if you're if your my documents folder on your Windows computer has stuff in it, you're doing it wrong. Really? For sure. <laughs> I For have sure. so much you're stuff doing on my it computer. Wrong. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I don't have anything. I could format my computer at virtually any time mm. and lose nothing. Yeah. I I have two folders on my computer that are like working files sure i have one for participate stuff and i have one for kind of personal stuff okay and i i can just i i opened up google drive this morning i dragged them over to do a do a backup yeah um and then and that's the only two things that i need to save and in there's maybe collectively there's maybe a hundred files in there and it's mostly graphics and actually if i went through and actually seriously thought about it i could probably purge like especially the participate stuff because it moves so fast and, and mm. things are just, they happen and then they're done and then I don't need them anymore. Sure. Um, you know, I could, I could get rid of half the stuff in most of those folders. Mm. Most of it's like streaming assets and, and raw video and stuff like that. Um, I think more people are like me though, Mike, where no, we have like totally. 5,000 things that live on our desktop and then we have another 10 million things that live in my documents and Y'all then that's not even talking about how many things live on my downloads. <laughs> Y'all are doing it wrong. Y'all are doing it wrong. That in itself just tells me though that I do need to clean all this up. <laughs> yeah. I'm just afraid. I mean, of, we teach our. I'm always listen, afraid of losing. To be things. fair, we teach our students how to do this properly. Why aren't? Sure. Yeah. Gotta gotta gotta, gotta do use, it ourselves. Use use your Google Drive. Use make efficient use of your computer. Um, and, and I'll tell you, for, formatting every six months, you, first off, you won't be afraid of it if you manage your files properly. Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm nerd flexing here a little bit, but I mean, it's like, if you format your computer, many, many problems go away mm. and, uh, and it's a whole new world. So that's gonna, I think I might do that actually today. Wow. This afternoon. Okay. We'll see. I, I, I will. I will take it into consideration. You're just going to keep thinking about it. I'm still afraid. It. We'll come back around to recording again next week and you still haven't done it. I know. <laughs> oh so, my God. So it's funny. Uh, I was, I was sort of complaining, but thought it was funny that like, you know, both you and I do like a lot of really cool, a lot of really cool stuff. We're doing a lot of speaking. We do. You just recently did a, a cool webinar, a webinar thing. Um, and, and I'm doing a bunch of stuff all the time and we tweet about those things. And, you know, sometimes we get, you know, a couple retweets or, you know, 10, 15 or 30 likes or whatever. Sure. I tweeted about Ted Lasso, the TV show. Sure. Okay. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, I'm trying to get a whole bunch of people to learn more about child trafficking and, 
and and or these social justice oh. things that I'm doing with participate, yeah, yeah. and I get no retweets, and then I tweet about Ted Lasso, and the tweet goes everywhere, including getting liked by Jason Sudeikis, the star of the show, wow, and getting retweeted cool. by the other star of the show, the woman who plays the uh, the owner of the of the of the team. Hmm. Um, she retweeted it. And I'll tell you first off, Priorities, have you ever bro. watched? Have you watched this show? Um, I have seen like the clips of it. So you because have. I have you not gotta seen watch it. it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I watch it with your. Oh, uh, I was gonna say watch it with your kids. How old's your oldest again? Thirteen, twelve, eighth, eighth grade. Yep, he's fourteen. Yep. Okay. Well, we might watch it with our oldest. You don't have to watch. There's swear words in it, but sure, you know. Uh, what is it on, Mike? What is it on so HBO? The, though? The, what I the way I described it in one of the replies was: this is a show about a good guy just yeah. being a good guy. Okay. <laughs> it's it's literally about a good guy. Okay. Just doing good guy things, and it makes you so happy. <laughs> I, I wish I had known about this show last year. Okay. Um, I, uh, I thought it was about I, a coach. It, well, it is, but he's just, it's, it's, it's not as much about soccer, football, whatever the hell you okay, want to call okay. it. It's not as much about that as you, as, as, as you, you think, think it, it was. Okay. Yeah. All right. And it's not. Right. You get me intrigued. And even, <laughs> even with the, um, like the, it's, it is a comedy, mm. but I always thought it was like a kind of a, a like a dumb kind of slapsticky kind of goofy comedy. Yeah. That's and what it's I thought not it was. that it's not that at all. Hmm. Um, you should totally, a hundred percent. You should watch totally it. watch it. Okay. You, you got me you'll intrigued. love it. You got me intrigued. I'm guaranteeing you. You're. I'm giving you the hot take guarantee <laughs> that wow. you will love Ted Lasso, and you should totally watch it. <laughs> that that reminds me of people recommending shows to me, and uh, and me rejecting their premises all the time. Um, uh, one of my former students, Connor Crop, who has helped us with some podcast things for the longest time, has always told me that I should get into these Marvel things, right? These uh, superhero shows. And yeah. I'm always like, I hate that stuff. <laughs> and I told them that for the longest. I'm like, I think they're super stupid, silly, blah, blah, blah. I never had watched any of them, but I was sure critical of them. Um, and then my kids, we they wanted to watch one of them i think that was like you know the first in a series of whatever might be my god they are so so good i am i'm just blown away like last night i haven't laughed so hard in a long time we watched ant-man and i was just dying laughing and i would never have thought that that was the case of a you know superhero type of thing because in the 90s if you're a 90s person yeah you remember how i you know, 80s and 90s, if you grew up in the 80s and 90s, a lot of our superhero shows were really serious. I'm thinking like in dark sometimes too. Batman. Um, I'm thinking even Superman. You know, remember the old Superman? Like Superman 1, 2, 3, 4. They all came out during the 80s. They weren't like, wasn't like fun, you know, funny. It was, you know, there was the superhero kind of thing. But I'm like, I don't want to watch that garbage, you know, kind of thing. This is the exact opposite of that. They, they kind of laugh at themselves and just funny and humor. They're just really well done. Um, so with that, I'm going to be more open to when people suggest things to me. So I'm going to go watch Ted Lasso. <laughs> you should. And You'll let love you know it. How, I need how, you to send me a text message. 
Okay. I need you to send me a text message as soon as you as soon as you watch like as watch it. Okay. Three or four three or four episodes. Sounds good. Um, <laughs> so it's funny when we when we skip a week. So we we yeah. didn't have a podcast last week for anyone who's um you know keeping score at home. Had some scheduling um conflicts. Mm. You know, it's funny. I always notice when we skip a week, that's when the, the Twitter stupidity happens the most. <laughs> and so we have all of this like bent up, you know, rage or whatever. Yeah. And then we don't even get to get it out of our system. And then we don't get to get it, get it out. <laughs> and, then peop- and then people delete their tweets. Um, and after. then I just noticed people delete their tweets. <laughs> after they which is, they which is the ultimate form of i know i was wrong but i'm still was still digging in even though you know <laughs> oh my god exactly. so so take us through because this is mostly your little rage train um yes, sometimes take, take us through I, yeah. take us through some of the dumb twitter hot takes from the week from sometimes the last i can't weeks. help myself and i should help myself and stop sure. and don't do this um but when i read something I just get too enraged to not uh, respond to it. And basically there was this person that, and this has happened several times. Actually, this happens quite a bit. And this person, I'm going to say it doesn't matter what uh, he or she, this person um, got a lot of support uh, with this tweet. And basically it says something like teachers should stay out of politics. That's what is something to that effect. Teachers should stay out of politics and stay in their classroom, you know. Uh, and that kind of stuff just really irks me because it is the reason why many why many of the current situations are where they actually are as far as bad things, uh, both for the ed- for educators, but in general, I'm talking about. Uh, inequities in our society, um, from racial prejudice to economic uh, uh, inequities to everything else in between, I think a lot of times happens because many of us are living comfortably and we can ignore stuff. We don't have to engage with stuff because it doesn't really affect us. So why should we even be involved in this? And, And in Teaching specifically, as we've said many times on this show, teaching and education in general is so interconnected with politics, funding, uh, the decisions made on what you actually get to teach and not teach, and everything else in between um, is interconnected with the politics of both local, state, and federal politics um, that you need to at least be aware of those things if not, not just be aware, but kind of be advocating for those for for the the politicians and the specific groups of people who are helping to move things in in a better direction. So when someone posts that teachers should stay out of politics, I just couldn't help myself, so I put <laughs> I quoted the person's tweet and I put dumbest tweet ever, and then this person got really sad at me. And said, why would you say such, you know, say that I'm dumb? And I'm like, I, I'm not saying you're dumb. Your tweet, this thing is dumb. And what it does is it gives permission to other people to just ignore crap. And by crap, I mean, ignore the things that we need to address and then make changes about. And even if it's not affecting you and your family directly at this moment, 
if you know it's wrong, you need to stand up too and, and, and make it right or learn about it and then see what can you do to go ahead and do, you know, you know, whether it's voting a specific way or supporting a certain political movement or whatever else in between, be informed. The ignorance in that and saying, yeah, politics and teach stay in your blah, 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 you know, it's like, that's, again, the reason why I think many of the things happen, especially in the United States, as far as that has to do with political things. And the reason why teacher salaries are horrible in so many states, and the reason why uh, unions are, are disbanded and oppressed, not allowed to go ahead and unionize in certain states, uh, it's because of people like this person. And she said, well, I'm not even from here. She said, I'm from England. And I'm like, I don't think it matters. I think for the most part, throughout the world, and I'm sure there's some different systems, but I know for sure in England, education is directly supported by the government. It's, it, it gives monies and then it gives instructions on how to use those monies. And, and there's a give and take there. So immediately it's politicized. So that was my first crazy rant. And we went kind of a back and forth and I really didn't even go back. I just said, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I, I just basically said. You're wrong, and this person ended up deleting the tweet at the end. So, oh, they so blocked they me. Up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, uh, that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Um, uh, yes. Of course, I mean, of course, teaching is political. Listen, I'm gonna make something. I'm gonna make a graphic and put it on a shirt. Yeah. You're going to see that before this podcast is out and I'm going to, we're going to teach, of course, teaching is political. Yes. And it's, I'll tell you, I'll, you know what, you know what drove me crazy? This whole like cop out of this person being in the UK is ridiculous because, um, you know, Brexit, for example, was entirely, virtually entirely driven by racism. Hmm. Okay. The reason why Brexit passed was xenophobia. And I'll tell you, man, if you don't think that you need to be in your class teaching kids about, you know, fake news and why, you know, xenophobia is wrong and racism is bad and, and, and teaching kids about, you know, respect and inclusion and diversity and, you know, then I don't even know what to tell you. You know, of course teaching is political and it's just as, it's just as political in the United States as it is in Canada, as it is in great Britain. Um, and you know, dumb tweets are dumb tweets, man, (laughs) no matter what you feel about them. Yeah. It's a dumb tweet. Mm -hmm. Um, cause teaching is, I'm not even sure there's anything more political in our society than education. I, I would so, agree. Yes. Yes. hundred percent. Man. Oh man. <laughs> All right. Number two, give yes. it to us. <laughs> so uh, there's this, there was a tweet, um, by a gentleman <laughs> and, a uh, he wrote, um, and, and this person has written some things that are great things to add to the edge of Twitter world. Let's call it things that we can all learn from. But this is just was a strange take. And he and and he ended up replying to his own tweet and kind of softening his stance. Let's just call it softening his stance. But he basically writes here, I don't have my master's 
by master's degree, I'm assuming, so that kids in my class can read whatever they want. And there's just, there's a, there's a, there's a bunch of layers to this. One, as I did in the intro, <laughs> I said, you don't want to begin any tweets by, by, by puffing up your chest and saying you have whatever the degree is that you have. Um, Cause that's stupid. That's, uh, that's, and then you basically placing yourself on this kind of, on this elite level, you know, whatever you want to go to call it. And the rest of the statement though, is actually, I couldn't disagree with it more. And basically says, so that my kids in my class can read whatever they want. Well, it's an English language arts teacher. Now that's part of his name as far as in his, in his Twitter uh, description and, and obviously his Twitter name too. And if you speak to English language arts instructors, teachers, what they want to do, what their ultimate goal is beyond standards and outcomes, et cetera, whatever it might be, is develop a passion for literature and reading in their students that they can carry on for the rest of their lives. So many of the responses in the tweet to the tweet were actually correct. They were saying there's room for both. There's room both for classical literature and some things that you're introducing your students to that they may not have ever been exposed to. But yet there's also room for choice in saying, you know, if you're passionate about reading a specific thing, you know, a specific type of uh, literature, and you've talked about this too, Mike, all the time where you talk about graphic novels, um, even specific types of, of magazines even. If you're just passionate about taking in information through reading, that carries on for the rest of your life, that that love for learning. You even were posting about that uh, this week as far as how important it is for all of us to continue to learn for all our lives. You know, that lifelong learner kind of thing. You know, I know it's an edu um, <laughs> Twitter kind of thing to be able to say, but really in its scope is really, it is the thing that we, that we can do as people. We can always continue to learn about all kinds of things. And really we learn about things that we're passionate about. So to say, nah, that thing is less than whatever it might be. It's like, that's not the kind of statement and kind of attitude that we actually want for our students. We want kids to be, to be exposed obviously to literature and, and some types of things that they've maybe never even read or, or heard about. But of course, too, to always say, Hey, you're also we also want you to go ahead and be passionate just about reading and learning and, and growing, you know, because that mm. is the lifelong skill there. So I, there's just so many things that run me the wrong way on that one too. And I wanted to make sure we brought it up because I think most people would agree with us <laughs> there. And it's a good lesson for all of us. Yeah. And sometimes you get a little, you know, a little puff chest out. you like, want to go ahead and say, hey, I have my master's degree. I have my master's degree, so the only thing my students are going to read is Shakespeare. <laughs> har, har, har. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> just a oh, it, it's, it's a it was an ugly take. Um, and again, many of the responses on the thing, even the person responded to their own tweet, were softening of that that's that initial tweet. So, and interesting I, itself there. Only only 
crappy English teachers teach gra- <laughs> using graphic novels. <laughs> yeah, no, truly, truly. And some people were making fun God. down below it with uh, about uh, young adult literature, you know? Yeah. Um, Hunger Games, for example, and, and things that kids are like really get into. Dude, that stuff, those types of literature, Harry Potter and everything else in between, um, is what makes my kids pick books up and lay on the couch and just bust through stuff it's yeah. it's engaging it's uh, and it's it's it, it's exposing them to a wide variety of language too and words and letting them grow and think plus it's great for your imagination you know it's it's just great for stimulation in a different way why would you take that or like put that down on some kind of lower level it's like mm, nah that's that wasn't a very good take there. So let, let the kids read. Let Absolutely. The kids read let, let whatever the read. hell they want. Do you, Ex- do you care what they're reading? I mean, I've, I've read a lot of magazine articles and, you know, and, and, and graphic novels and whatever that have vocabulary, mm-hmm. um, just as complex as, as anything. You know, my, my son Isaac is getting into history stuff. And so mm. he's learning, he's learning, um cool words like 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 learning how to use the word um so we were talking about his project today that he's doing on on um on the cold war yeah and and we were talking about the roots of the cold war and and he was talking about um the 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 allied forces as they were moving towards germany from the from the west and um you know, there was a point in time where we he he had a really simple word um, for kind of the the idea of capturing these new cities, yeah. And we decided to replace that word with liberated, mm. right? Because that's yes. it's a it's a more nuanced word to describe what was actually happening as mm. the Allied forces were moving through um, Western Europe. They were liberating these countries. In fact, liberated is the word that is commonly used to associate with, you know, what, you know, the allied forces did, especially yes. in um, like the Netherlands, for example, they use that word all the time for the liberation of the Netherlands. Mm. Um, you know, and so, you know, an interest in, you know, video games, you know, begets an interest in graphic novels and magazines, which begets an interest in, um, you know, going and learning more, on wikipedia yeah. which begets you know doing a project on the cold war and i mean they all feed into each other so stop caring stop gatekeeping what the yeah. hell your kids are reading yeah that's because it. it all feeds into each other and it all works and yeah. eventually um your 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 kids will find their passion mm-hmm. um but they got to start somewhere and so yes. let them start wherever the heck they want to start absolutely great point when we come back we're going to have a really great conversation with author Josh Caldwell about his new book on coding in the arts. So stay with us. We are building this virtual community of educators who share an interest in game design and teaching new skills. We will use this space to connect, collaborate, and innovate with Sandbox. That's Sebastian Bourget. He's the co-founder and chief operating officer at The Sandbox. This community is here to provide guidance, support, feedback, and suggestions on how to best use The Sandbox 
within the context of teaching and learning how to make video games. It allows also to connect experts and educators, bringing together existing creators and members of the Sandbox game platform community with professional educators. The Sandbox community has grown into a vibrant space of 100 plus educators. How can you get involved? More to come later in the episode. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Our guest develops tools and instructional materials to help bring the beauty of computer science to students and teachers all over the world. He currently works on computer science learning and instruction projects for Google in Berlin. Prior to that, he worked on K-12 curriculum development at Code.org and was a middle school teacher in the Seattle area. He's the author of Coding and the Arts, Connecting Computer Science to Drawing, Music, Animation, and More. Welcome to On Education, Josh Caldwell. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. We're happy to have you. Josh, I enjoyed reading your background uh, because it sounds a little like mine, to be honest. We're both, you know, middle school teachers. I taught computer science K to, or, well, two to eight. Um, uh, and I don't have a computer science degree. I have a history degree. Um, and my plan was always to teach history. Um, and I learned a lot of what I learned on my own. And it sounds similar to what you did, Um and then I also eventually left the classroom to take my kind of my thoughts and ideas about computer science to wider audiences. Um, what's missing from your bio that I just read in the introduction and what I've just said there? What, what are we missing? Tell us a little bit more about your past. Um, what led you to writing a book about computer science and the arts? Yeah, so I've I've always had this kind of back and forth relationship with CS. It was something that uh, wasn't available for me when I was a kid in school, although I did have some teachers that made space for it. I remember I, I had a great math teacher who knew that a few of us were interested and, and made some space for us to... I don't even remember what the what the project was, but we went and we made a website as uh, as the expression of that project, and uh, just had a few opportunities where where teachers kind of without the expertise made the space for us to explore um, kind of this realm that there wasn't really space for officially in the school system. And so when I when I got to college, I knew like computers are cool. I like computers. I've had I've had time with them. I thought I was going to be a computer science major. Uh, and I got into those first couple classes and was really bummed out. They they just weren't uh, they weren't what I thought they were going to be. They, it sure. wasn't it wasn't fun. It wasn't communicative. It was very isolated and about uh, algorithms and solving small problems, not big problems. And you know, I know now that if I'd stuck with it, I would have I would have found what I wanted. But that first that first introduction is so important. And for me, um, you know, particularly for me as as somebody who has all the benefits that I have, like I, I'm not facing kind of a lot of the stigma that I might face if I looked different or came from a different background. I, you know, computer science was was made for guys who look like me, um, or at least that was the story that was being told. And so the fact that even even with all of that privilege coming into it, I was like, this this doesn't speak to me. Um, 
you know, it, it's something I think about a lot when I when I look at all the students who are coming to this uh, for the first time and the opportunity that a teacher has um, to frame what computer science is and why it's something that you care about. So uh, long story there, I, I, I went and I became a theater major because, you know, uh, why not go to the whole other end of the spectrum if you're if you're going to make a shift, <laughs> make a big shift. Nice. Um, and you know, I, I found what I was looking for there. It maybe didn't didn't feel as connected to a career, um, but it gave me gave me that space again to explore and express myself and build community. Right. Um, so I have a bit of a follow up though, because you you've said something that that is super interesting to me about not feeling that instant kind of gut feeling. Uh, that you were going to enjoy computer science in university. And, and I've thought a lot about that when it comes to um, uh, our students as well, about that first impression. It, it's everything, right? And, you know, it is super easy. I, it, would you agree? I, I feel like computer science is one of those things that you could really screw up as a teacher, um, sucking the life out of it. And, you know, we know it has tons of potential, um, but there's a lot of pitfalls that you could have along the way um, teaching computer science that would just ruin it for a student, isn't there? Oh, oh, so many. And I, I think, you know, the biggest pitfall is is having any sort of limited view um, because it is it is such a vast, broad, uh, you know, ex expanse of opportunities in the realm of CS that, you know, going in with a with a narrow view, maybe about what what was important to you, uh, shuts out so many so many other students who might who might have found that other kind of version of CS being the thing that speaks yeah. to them. Um, and if you take any other subject, um, you know, students are going to have so many opportunities to maybe see what what the different version was throughout school. They're going to get English every year. They're going to get science, probably not as much as we want, but they're going to get some amount of it. Um, and you're you're not going to get that second chance really with computer science. There, it's it's so hard to find the space for it anyway. And if it's there as an elective, if it's there as something a student has to opt into, um, if you don't catch them on day one, you're not you're not going to get a second chance to really show them why they should care about this or or show them why this is a, a powerful tool for them. Josh, uh, Mike and I have read tons of educational books, um, and a lot of them are focused on kind of philosophical topics, answering the question why. And yours book does answer that, but I'm blown away by all the content and actual professional development and lesson ideas. So how to actually do these things inside of the book. And I can see the book being used in a district-wide initiative or in teacher PD book clubs. Is this something you did intentionally as you were writing the book? It's it's something I thought about because my, my first book, so I, I wrote a book initially um, about integration into other subject areas. So it's, it's, um, um, uh, it shows how to use CS in math, science, ELA, social studies. Um, and I didn't write that with the intent of it being used in kind of systemic ways uh, around PD, but a lot of folks did. I, I heard from professors who were using it in their pre-service programs, and I heard from districts who wanted me to talk to their teachers because they were doing a book study on it. So it is something that in writing this one, I was I was more thoughtful about and, and kind of tried to build more opportunities uh, to support that kind of use. I love this section in your book about equity. Um, so 
this is a computer science book. And while I think all educators should be talking and thinking about how their classrooms operate in terms of equity and diversity, and we're very vocal on this podcast uh, about those topics, I wouldn't necessarily be surprised to see a computer science in the arts book not broach that topic. Like, like if you had not written that, that I wouldn't have thought, you know, less of you necessarily in terms of it being content in the book. So let's talk about equity and diversity and, and how you think it plays a role in teaching computer science and in teaching in general, because I think what you've shared is a pretty, you know, it's subject agnostic. You you should be thinking about equity and diversity in probably almost any subject you teach almost all the time, in fact. Um, what are some of the ways you talk about um, in your book about making sure a classroom is considering that equity and diversity piece? Yeah, I, I I would absolutely agree that it is it's something all teachers should be thinking about at all times because the reality is the kids who come into our classroom are impacted by the society that they're coming from and the society that they're coming from has such diverse impacts on them depending on their background you know how they were raised what they look like um, and if we as teachers aren't taking that into consideration in all the things we do uh, we're just you know, at best, not helping them. At worst, we're perpetuating whatever systems of inequity they're operating in that we're not, we're not thinking about or, or being aware enough of. So, the the way that I think about it in the book um, is is in a few different approaches. One is the historical inequities of computer science specifically. The fact that computer science still, if you look at industry, uh, is is you know, not as diverse as one might hope. It doesn't reflect the folks that are using technology and that that uh, imbalance is, it's it's hurting all of us. We, we would all be better if the users of technology were reflected in the creators of technology. Um, so there's, there's a content area piece of there that matters, that there's an equity of computer science that we need to be teaching students about, both because it impacts them as consumers. They need to know that, you know, if they're using something that's built on AI, for example, and that AI has not been trained on, uh, you know, a, a relative equitable data set, uh, that's going to impact its ability to make reasonable decisions. Um, so there's, there's that kind of historical and content area version of equity. And then there's the, the pedagogical personal version of equity that I want teachers to be thinking about, which is particularly useful. And part of why I want to use arts as a way to teach CS is to say, are there ways in which we can engage students who might come into the classroom already thinking this isn't for them, who have been told a story that they don't belong here, they haven't seen faces that look like theirs in computer science. Um, are there ways that we can actually use the things that we teach to, to engage them? So that looks like, you know, if we're, if we're doing an activity around music, thinking about the students who are in your room and giving them the space to, you know, bring their culture to you and say, you know, we're going to we're going to make music with CS. What's the music that speaks to you? How can I make this more relevant, more meaningful to you based on your own background? It's a perfect transition because I have a question about music. Um, but first, I, I actually wanted to speak to you a little bit about in the education community, both on social media, but even within school districts and many of the school districts that I've been at, 
coding and computer science are often pitted against the arts. And by pitted, I mean financially, budget-wise, how much budget monies go to one versus the other. And so they find themselves in competition with each other. Um, And then also in time. So an amount of time that you can go ahead and spend in whatever it might be um, ends up pulling from the other. But this book brings these two areas together, which I think is not only fascinating, but maybe a way that many districts, especially I could see at the primary and middle school levels, can find a way to be able to merge these two areas together and really do some amazing, cool stuff. And before we even started speaking here, we were um, admiring each other's guitars in the backgrounds. (laughs) And so we all have a passion for music. So I really enjoyed your section about coding and connecting it to music because I had not thought of that, um, though I've used obviously programs and whatever it might be because uh, I, I love creating music. Your book specifically dives into Scratch to create musical compositions, uh, students creating their own musical instruments, and all of these ideas about how to go to connect these two areas together. But where would you direct teachers who are interested in connecting computer science, coding uh, to music? What, what's a good entry level type of thing, Josh? Yeah, um, so I, I want to first touch on the the kind of zero sum game that you pointed out because that was yeah. something I started as an English teacher. Um, that that was where my training had been. That was the the classroom that I had set up, and I, I because I had experience with CS and and knew that it could be valuable, advocated for creating these classes, but ran up against that exact issue that the electives teachers who were established were concerned that I was coming in and I was going to take away from something that they had built because we were being pitted against each other. And I I think that um, that experience that I had really helped in framing the way I think about the role of CS because these were teachers I knew and respected and wanted to work with. But I knew that if I was going to move into their realm, I needed to do it as a partner and and really work with them to say, how can we do this in a way that supports our students all working together, even if it means like you go down a section, I go up a section, like the practicalities of that, we need to do it in a way that's not um, stealing from the arts because societally we devalue the arts too much anyway. We, we just don't, we don't yes. respect them. Um, and I don't want this moving of CS into schools to be another nail in that coffin. So, but back to the, the actual question of like, all right, so we want to do music in, in CS. How do we do that? I think Scratch is great because it is, it is so easy, right? Like it is really designed to be something that you can sit in front of and poke around and it's not going to go bad. Um, it may go weird, but weird CS is great. <laughs> um, so Scratch is, is always a great place to start. Um, but the other tools that I explore in the book, um, EarSketch and Sonic Pi, are both also really interesting because they are very different approaches to thinking about why you would program in music. Um, EarSketch is a programming environment that's really based on a, a digital audio workstation. So you, you mentioned like, oh, you've used computers to create music. You probably used a digital audio workstation. These like Cakewalk, well, my references are too old. Cakewalk's not what people use anymore. GarageBand. Um, But imagine if GarageBand, instead of manually dragging things around, you could take these great library of samples and write code that decided when to trigger them and how. Um, So that's a really great one for for connecting to that version of music. Um, Sonic Pi is 
similar but but very different in an important way in that it's really designed for live performance which is so cool because i don't think most kids are most teachers most people are gonna think about programming as a performative art um, so the idea that sonic pi is is like you're going to write some code and you're going to listen to the music that it produces and you can edit it and hit enter and then the next time that cycle goes through you're going to hear the changes um, that can be really really transformative to a kid who kind of doesn't really get the the structured version of programming, doesn't get the like, I'm going to sit down and plan this all. They want to tinker. It's so well suited for tinkering. Um, so I, I think both of those, depending on the kind, the nature of, of the way that you want to use music could be interesting first introductions. I think we would be remiss um, uh, having you on the podcast if if we didn't also talk about Google CS first just a little bit. Um, I'm a I'm a big fan of the program and of definitely as someone that taught computer science and coding, I, I you know I watched it get developed and and kind of um, you know as someone that started teaching like Scratch and 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 things like Hopscotch and whatever back in like the 2013 2014 when cs first wasn't around i was like oh man i wish this was here when i was when i was really trying to figure out what the heck i was supposed to do because you've made it so easy for teachers to get into teaching computer science now it's it's amazing um so for anyone that doesn't know what kind of the google cs first program curriculum is just Let's give people a quick rundown, what it is, what they can learn, what they can use, kind of the scope and sequence a little bit, and then the uh, and then where they can go to to look into it because you're you're involved in that and it would be it'd be great for people to to learn about uh, learn about it a little. Yeah, so CS First um, it started out of a, a club based program, so it really wasn't wasn't initially designed for classrooms. Though teachers found it to be so useful that it's it's over the years kind of moved into the classroom. Um, but it is it's really kind of those those first introductions into Scratch. It uses videos that I think have really thoughtfully uh, you know both introduced contexts around computing, so you can see how does uh, computer science maybe connect to sports or the arts um, or math or science. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of different angles through which you might look at computer science um, that CS First can introduce you to. The instruction right now is really based around videos, which um, is, is helpful for a teacher who is totally new to this stuff, who's not yet ready mm. to kind of do a lot of the, the heavy teaching themselves. There's a lot of that weight is taken on um, by the videos. And then you also get the opportunity to show students uh, people that look like them that work at Google that, that kind of can break down the stereotypes and misconceptions about who belongs in computer science and who doesn't. Um, so that's that's where it's at now. I actually have recently joined the team, and a lot of what I'm doing is kind of working to imagine what the future of that curriculum is. And I'm I'm really excited about some of the things we're looking about at, and and the ways in which we're not only thinking about how computer science can be introduced to students, but also how could this curriculum, how could these tools, be a, a way for a teacher to develop their own pedagogy, their own pedagogical content knowledge. So um, moving beyond that first step of this is a thing that's relatively easy for you to do to something that this is not only relatively easy for you to get started, but it's going to make you a better teacher by doing it because it's going to start to highlight some of those, those things that are happening in your classroom. Josh, how can teachers connect with you online and where can we go to find your book? 
Yeah, so uh, you can find my book at uh, creativecodingbook.com. Uh, that site has both of my books. Uh, you can you can buy both of them there. Um, and then that also links out to all of my, my various social medias. Uh, I will, I will warn that I'm not good at social media. I'm not, uh, I'm not a regular presence, uh, but I do pay attention and, uh, you know, teachers often will, uh, will hit me up that way. And I'm, I'm always uh, happy to respond. Amazing. Thanks. Uh, Josh Caldwell. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. The Sandbox is creating a learning ecosystem where educators can learn in weekly streams, bring ideas into their classrooms, collaborate with other educators, and become Sandbox ambassadors. Our goal for the stream is to show the world how low the barrier can be to teaching and learning game making through our no-code and accessible platform. Anyone can do it. Passion and education. You can feel it in the streams as we explore and share ideas around game design implementation in your teaching practice. Join the community to learn more at go.participate.com slash sandbox. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Glenn Irvin. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the On Podcast Media Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Monica Burns, Mike Matera, Tisha Richmond, and many more by visiting onpodcastmedia.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website, oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter. And I can be found on Twitter at Irv Spanish. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Participate, for supporting us. Check out Participate.com to learn more about them. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.